of Feb is uh, Grant and Michelle's last service and uh, uh, kind of the ordination of, of Lisa and myself into the leadership role here at Harbour City. But uh, with such a big change that's happening, uh, what we wanted to do is throw a party on the, on the 5th of uh, February. So that's Saturday night. We're going to throw a party. It's going to be at Milk and Honey. If you don't know where Milk and Honey is, it's uh, the coffee shop on Florida Road that is part of the Olive Tree Church uh, building. So we're going to be there Saturday night, 7 p.m. It's open to the whole church. And uh, we want you all to come because there's a couple things that we want to do. We want to celebrate eight years of Harbor City, uh, eight years of, of this journey that uh, Harbor City has been on here in Durban, uh, eight years of so many of us involvement in the church, uh, what God has done bringing us through COVID and, and all of that. And we also want to celebrate Grant and Michelle and, and uh, have a farewell for them. Thank them for the role that they've played in kind of pastoring and shepherding and leading uh, this church into what it is today and playing such a vital role in, in birthing the church in, uh, in Durban City. So the fifth February the 5th, 7 p.m., Milk and Honey on Florida Road. All of us are invited to be part of the celebration of Harbor City's journey and, uh, and just to be able to share our gratitude to Grant and Michelle for the role that they've played. I think um, it is just an interesting time for those of you who are coming tonight that are newer to the church, that... Um, you are here as Harbor City is going through a big transition and change, a new chapter in its story. Uh, and some people in this room have been here since day one in 2013, and others are much newer. But I think one of the things that's been a joy for me over the last few months as we've been preparing for the 6th of Feb and the future has been having Jamie and Lisa uh, part of our services for about three months now. Jamie's been preaching here off and on for probably about 10 months, eight or nine, 10 months, somewhere there, and just getting to know them better. And I hope some of you who haven't met them before would maybe even meet them after the service and just say hi, uh, start up a conversation. But one of the things we have tried to do on Sundays is just introduce them from the front a little bit more and get to know them a little bit better. So I'm going to invite Lisa up now and just ask her a few questions. Lisa, you can come. And um, just actually get her to share something of who she is, something of her heart, and just hopefully you get to know her a little bit better as we share. So give her a bit of a warm Harbor City welcome as she comes up. Do you want to grab that mic, please? Um, so this is Mrs. Lisa Tennant, and that mic might be a bit gonna, short. <laughs> I'll just lean to the side while I'm talking. <laughs> So, Lise, how are you doing Hi today? Guys, doing fine, thank you. Good. Hot dibs. <laughs> so, Lise, maybe um, the first thing I'll ask you is, in light of that, the heat of dibs. I know a lot of people have been saying, where do you live? Where are you from? Where are your girls at school? Maybe tell us a little bit more about you guys so far. Okay, cool. Well, at the moment, uh, we live in Pine Town. Um, I grew up in Westville, went to school in Kloof, and so all around the place. <laughs> but um, at the moment, I'm teaching at Kloof Pre-Primary School. I teach four to five-year-old kids. They keep me busy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, my kids go to, Ruby is six, and she goes to Kloof Pre-Primary. She's in grade R, and Summer is eight, <laughs> eight still. She's turning nine <laughs> this year. <laughs> She's going to grade three at Kloof Junior Primary. I went to both of those schools, so I can kind of imagine. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, very, very cool. Definitely approving. Um, Lise, I think it's been a stressful last few years for most people. Um, I don't hear too many people saying, oh, the last few years has been fun and breezy. Maybe um, just what is something you do to relax or to lay back? <laughs> I'm thinking back to the lockdown uh, during COVID, but it was such a nice time of the year because it was like winter time and there's that like winter sun, you know, I don't know if you guys have that here in Durban, um, <laughs> um, or if it's just like summer all year round. <laughs> it's just hot and very hot, that's our two temperatures. Um, so yeah, for me, like just being able to go be outdoors where there's a bit of a breeze and sunshine is like very relaxing for me. 
and um, I enjoy drawing as well. So I definitely got into a lot more like art therapy <laughs> for myself, um, which I've enjoyed. Um, any creative activities and baking is another one. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lise, um, you probably have noticed this, but if not, Durban definitely worships the sun and loves exercise and fitness and health and all of those things. So um, what do you do to stay active, to, I don't know, be fit? Okay, so I'm a preschool teacher, <laughs> which means I'm running around all day <laughs> and I don't sit down. I only started wearing my fitness watch this year and so far I've almost got 10,000 steps every day without trying. Ooh. So, <laughs> yeah, so we like constantly walking and moving around. It's pretty active, but so when I get home, I pretty much just want to chill and do nothing. <laughs> but um, I have, I'm, I think I'm allergic to running, so that's not a great one. <laughs> but I've recently got into rebounding, which is like jumping on the trampoline. <laughs> he doesn't even know. So I've never heard of that before. It's actually like a thing, and it's very good for you. And two minutes of jumping on the rebound is the same as six minutes of running. I'm in. And it's, <laughs> and it's very relaxing, and you do like different exercises and stuff. So we'll see how that goes, but I definitely find it more enjoyable. Yeah. And Lise, you've mentioned you're a teacher um, and of young kids, which I can imagine is both rewarding and hard. What is something you love about teaching that you found rewarding? What's something that you found just challenging about your job? Cool, so um, I'm generally just fascinated in people and like their uniqueness, what makes people different from each other and their personalities and stuff, which I feel like at that age of like five years old, the kids are very much their own like pure personality before they've been put through all like the structured systems and like taught ways of being. So I just love like how their personalities are so um, pure in a way and just getting to know each personality, um, observing their behavior and figuring out strategies of how to um, just help them be happy and get the best out of them. And yeah. And did you say the challenging part? Oh, the challenging part There's none. It's <laughs> is just joyful the fact that I'm easy. running around all day. <laughs> no, um, I don't mind that so much. It's the noise. Um, it's quite a noisy environment, so I do get overstimulated, and at the end of the day, I have to like decompress and like have time in silence. Um, yeah, it's mainly that, and sometimes difficult kids that you have to carry around kicking and screaming. <laughs> Our daughter's teething right now. I don't know if she's sitting at the back, but I can relate to that. I know we're early into it, but I'm sure there's difficult days for some of the kids. Um, and you can't zone out when you're working with kids. You have to be focused like all the time. Yeah, I can imagine you're exhausted at the end of the day. Um, Lisa, I remember we were together in youth. I think I met Lisa when we were both around 18. I remember you sharing a few times maybe about just ways that you related to God and you uh, deepened your relationship with Him. Maybe, um, what is a scripture that has stood out to you over the years or impacted you, and why? Um, I think they, there's a couple. The one I was going to say, I was going to kind of read it for you, <laughs> Grant, to tell me what he was going to ask me. Um, but the one from Psalm 73, where it's, uh, the guy's talking about how um, you know, the evil prosper and these, all these things happening and it's so confusing to him and then says, uh, when I became um, embittered and I, I couldn't understand, like um, confused, then I entered God's presence and then the whole thing changes and he says, yet I'm always with you, you hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, afterwards you will take me up to glory, who have I in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Um, and I think for me, it's like there's so much confusing stuff in the world. And sometimes you get into like a hole, you know, in your thinking or you get caught up in things. And for me, it's like such a, a beautiful thing that I've found in life to be able to come back to God and just wait and be still on God and how he just brings his clarity and um, makes 
sense of things that don't seem to make sense, you know, that he is the most important thing and that um, his presence is with me, so. Yeah, that's a beautiful scripture. Lise, maybe um, for people in the room who are saying, I want to grow in my faith this year, um, I want 2022 to be a year that I get close to God, what is something you would say, like a, a tip, like something that's been helpful to you, something that's helped you deepen your relationship with him? I think it's, it boils down to time, you know, and um, making time for God, even when things are hectic. I still remember in high school um, <laughs> deciding I'm going to seek God first and everything else will be added and putting it to the test. So, like, even when I had lots of exams to do, I would come home and then say, I'll spend half an hour, you know, wait, being, being with God. And it's amazing because when I, when I did that, I've always found, like, either the test was moved or else, like, <laughs> when I was studying, I could, like, learn super fast, you know, like, everything was just going in. And um, how, like, I would say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you that you will do a miracle if I put you first in my life. And then that's been challenged at every different stage of my life, like, whether I've had kids and that's been the demand or, you know, so I'm having to relearn it at every stage. But I think... Um, making the time to spend with God and fighting for it um, and um, being with Him because we cannot bear fruit unless we remain in Him. We try to pretend we have Christian fruit, <laughs> but we don't actually unless we're actually spending time with God. And maybe lastly, and kind of linked to what you've been saying, um, I know, like, I remember you leading worship and being part of bands both on Sundays and in like youth bands back in the day um, and I know you've got a real heart for worship I think you've just sung so beautifully with Rowan Curse leading us but maybe um, what is something that you like love about worship and why is musical worship or, or singing worship such an important part of our lives and our Sunday gatherings um, to be honest it's, this is not something I think a lot about because <laughs> Um, but I, I always forget how much I love worshiping, and then when I'm am worshiping, I'm like, oh yeah, this is amazing, you know. It's like filling my soul and like energizes me and makes me come alive. And I think music worship is obviously our whole lives laid down before God. But the part of worship where we sing, it's like we're able to access a different part of our souls that our minds can't. So often we're trying to live our faith through our brains, work everything out. But music somehow cuts into our soul and it helps us to meet with God in, in a place where we go past our defenses. So we're not, um, our walls kind of come down. So I think um, music really can get to our soul. And for me, it's just like, I feel like when I able, I'm really able to express myself when I worship and it like almost releases something for me. Well, Lise, I, I mean, I think there has been almost a theme of just connection with God just in what you've said. Maybe I'm about to preach. Maybe you could just pray for all of us that even now God would meet with us and speak to us, like whatever's on your heart to pray for us tonight. Is that okay? Uh, before I say that, um, I, you didn't, I don't know if you asked this or not, but... Um, I thought I'd just mention that Jamie and I, we are planning to move down to Durban mm. um, within this year. So that is something, it's going to be a transition year for us. Um, but yeah, that's our plan. Yeah, that's Pray. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you that uh, you've known us all, even before we were born, that you knit us together in our mother's wombs and that you are the author and creator of our faith. You are the, the beginner, the one who began the world, Lord, that you created this place, Lord, and that you are the one who's working and you are, are above all things and beyond all things, Lord. And we just thank you that we can be together today, Lord Jesus, and we just submit ourselves to you, Lord. We lay down all our plans, Lord, all our thinking, the things that we want from life, Lord. We lay down our dreams and desires, Lord, and we welcome you to speak, Lord. We welcome you to bring your purposes. We welcome you to um, direct us. We know that the plans that you have for us are good, and we want to lay down our striving to live our best lives or to, um, to 
to achieve our, our full potential and we, we want to trust ourselves in your hands. We want to hold your hand, Lord Jesus, and pray that you'd lead us, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in Harbor City, that it's a church that you have birthed, Lord, it's that you have planned for, Lord, and I pray that you'd speak to all of us and show us what your plan is, Lord, and bring us into that plan in Jesus' name. And bless Grant as he speaks, that he would know your, your favor and your love over him in Jesus' name. Amen. Lise, thank you for sharing and for praying. Um, yeah, you can clap, Jeremy. I appreciate that. If any of you want to clap, give Lise some love. Um, it is just great. I've known these two for such a long time, and it's just been a special process for me watching this transition happen and this overlap happen. And I'm just feeling excited to see what God does in the weeks, months, and years to come. But uh, these definitely are also, as a sentimental person, tender moments for me as um, I'm trying to drink in kind of last moments or near to last moments. And I've got two sermons left as the leader of this church tonight and next Sunday. So I have said this before, but I've been asking God, what, what is it you would have me share and what is it you would have me say? And particularly for this Sunday and next Sunday, I've been thinking about this moment for quite a while. And I was at a pastor's retreat sometime last year, and we were sitting around the fire, a bit of banter going on, some good laughs, and some deep conversations, some good conversations about church and life and ministry and everything. And one of the guys recommended a book called Praying with Paul by D.A. Carson. And uh, it was a book I'd never heard of before, but I thought, sheesh, okay, if they recommend it, I'll give it a read. And I went home and got it, and I read it. And I loved it because I've read so many books that are about kind of pastoral or ministry skills, but this was almost on a pastor's prayers for the church. It's quite a unique, different book. And what he does in the book is he goes through all of the moments in the New Testament where Paul prays for one of the churches that he's planted or led or ministered in or that he carries on his heart, all of those prayers and almost seeing the will of God for churches. So what I did is I took all of those passages down, I put them in this prayer journal that I've got, and I began to pray them over Harbor City for the last year or so. And what I wanted to share tonight and next week is one of those particular prayers which has really struck me and stood out to me and I feel like is very relevant for us as a community. So what I wanna do is share tonight and next week, not just sermons, but something of a prayer for you guys as a community, something of a prayer for you guys as individuals and something of a prayer for Harbor City as it goes into the future. So the passage I'm gonna read from is in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 11. If you do have a Bible and a notebook, you wanna take notes. Otherwise, I know Britt is gonna pop it on the screen for us. But this is the passage, 1 Thessalonians 3:11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And firstly, I just love that, a prayer for direction a prayer for God's guidance. I think it's so easy for us to make plans and make decisions and choose our way. But what a beautiful thing to say, God, would you direct my path? Would you show me the way to go? Would you show me what you would have me do? And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love. Think about those two words for a second. Increase in love, grow in love, and not just be full of love, but overflow in with love for one another in the church, and for everyone, just as we do for you. And I love that little part, just as we do. They're saying, as leaders, they're an example to the church of this kind of love, uh, an increasing, overflowing kind of love that is for the church and for everyone. And then he says, may he, may God make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints, amen. It's a really short passage, three verses, full of good things, but I trust that tonight and next week this will really encourage you. So my plan, God willing, is next Sunday I'm gonna share on a prayer for a holy church, and tonight I wanna share a sermon or a message on a prayer for love in the church. And tonight we're gonna look at these three things, being loved by Jesus, loving Jesus, and loving like Jesus. Being loved by Jesus, loving Jesus, and loving like Jesus. So here we go. First point, a community loved by Jesus. Some of you may know the story. 
It comes from the writings of Brennan Manning. Um, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, which is probably my worst book name. I just think the word ragamuffin is not great. It sounds like a little kid who's been a bit of a scamp you give a little noogie to. But it's a beautiful book about the grace of God for outsiders and rebels and people who don't necessarily fit within the traditional bounds. And he shares this story and speaks about growing up with his best friend, Ray. And they grew up in Brooklyn together uh, as kids in the sandpits, as teenagers buying cars and going on dates together. They went to university and studied together. And then they went to boot camp and army and the front lines of war together. And he says, one night they're sitting in a foxhole and Brennan, the raconteur, the storyteller, is speaking about the good old days in Brooklyn while Ray is just sitting there eating a chocolate bar, smiling and listening to his best friend, Cher. And while this is going on, out of nowhere, a live grenade lands in the foxhole between them. And this is a huge moment. You know, this is a moment of life and death. And Brennan says, Ray looked at him and smiled and dropped his chocolate bar and threw himself onto the live grenade and it exploded and killed him. I mean, that's a pretty radical situation to be in. But basically, this grenade explodes and because of Ray giving his life, Brennan is saved. And obviously, Brennan had grown up knowing Ray and his family and his mother. And he says years later, probably after seeing her many times after the funeral and all of that, Brennan goes and has tea with Ray's mom, and they spent hours just talking and drinking and catching up. And there was a moment where Brennan asked a vulnerable question, which he's wanted to know for years. You can imagine this kind of weighing on his conscience for years and years and years. And he looks at Ray's mom, and he says to her, do you think Ray loved me? And Ray's mom stands up furious with Brennan for asking this and gets in his face with her finger and wag, you can imagine almost this angry older woman. And I mean, forgive the language here, she blasphemes, but it's an important part of the story. She gets in Brennan's face and she says, Jesus Christ, Brennan, what more could Ray have done for you? And you can picture that moment. And Brennan says, as she said that to him, he had this epiphany, he had this revelation. He, he just saw Jesus in that moment on the cross. And he was standing at the foot of the cross while Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. And he was standing there looking at the sight and saying, does God really love me? And he had this picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, coming in front of him and wagging her finger in his face, saying, Brennan, what more does he have to do to show you. It's such an incredible thing. What more could Ray have done for Brennan? What more could Jesus have done for you and I? And I think Ray's story is this, or Brennan's story is this incredible story of sacrificial love, selfless love, radical love, even at the expense of your own life. And that picture is a picture of what Jesus says in John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And obviously Jesus has set us the perfect example of doing that, of giving his life completely for you and I. He's shown us how much he loves us. He's given everything for us by throwing himself on the grenade of Satan, sin, death, and hell, taking that impact for you and I so that we could be saved and so that we could continue to live. He died that we could live eternally. He died that we could know God. He has loved us first, and now we love. He set us an example of love that we would love others. And one of the many things that makes Jesus' love and sacrifice on the cross so supreme is the fact that, one, obviously it's God dying for us, but more than that is that Jesus didn't just die for his biggest fans or his friends or his support crew. What the scripture says is that Jesus died for everyone. He even died for his enemies. Romans 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, while we weren't friends with him, while we were rebelling against God and doing our own thing, he died for us. And I wanted to say to each one of you here tonight, I don't know what you think about what God thinks of you. Does that make sense? I don't know what you sitting here tonight, what you think God thinks about you right now or about your life, but I do know what God thinks of you. 
What the scriptures show us is that no matter what you've done, no matter what your life has looked like, no matter what has maybe come to mind right now, that God loves you, that God likes you, and that Jesus gave his life for you and for me. I read this quote this week, which I think words it so well. Some kind of fancy language in some parts, but I think it's really beautiful. Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy says, we must understand that God does not love us without liking us through gritted teeth, as Christian love is sometimes thought to do, rather out of the eternal freshness of his perpetually self-renewed being, the heavenly Father cherishes the earth and each human upon it. The fondness, the endearment, the unstintingly affectionate regard of God toward all his creatures is the natural outflow of what he is to the core, which we vainly try to capture with our tired but indispensable old word, love. God loves you from the core. God likes you from the core of who he is. He knows you and he loves you. And that truth is the foundation for the lives that we live in following him. And I'd love to do this for a second. If you are comfortable closing your eyes, maybe that would be great. But otherwise, you can just picture this where you are. I'd love it if you pictured for a second God taking you by the face, gently putting his hands on your face and holding your face in the palm of his hands and looking into your eyes not with eyes that are just seeing you, but that know you to the core of your being, that know everything you've done or has been done to you, that know every part of your life, not in part, but completely. A God who sees you and who gently and tenderly holds your face in his hands and looks into your eyes and says, I love you. I like you. I think if we experience that, the truth that the scriptures speak about of how God is towards us. If we experience that and believe that, it would change our lives completely. God loves us. And Harbor City, we have always sought to be and we continue to desire to be the kind of community that knows the love of God personally, that is growing in knowing it and experiencing it and believing it. And that from that love grows in confidence and freedom and wholeness, and knowing our value and importance to our Creator and King. Secondly, we want to be a community that loves Jesus. And in the Gospels, one of the things that happens a number of times is people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, for different reasons, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most important thing? We're going to look at this twice, but in Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus says, this is the answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. If you could memorize that, I think that would be a good thing for your soul and for your faith. But as we read those words, Jesus is speaking about loving God with all of our inner world, whatever that means to you, with all of our outer world, with all of our heart and mind, our thinking, our feeling, and our doing, loving God with everything that we are. And Jesus is not only teaching us that, that the most important thing is love for God, but he's also teaching that the way we love, how well we love, whether we are growing as a person of love, that is the measure of the degree of our spirituality. Now, personally, I don't like that. I would find it a bit easier with my personality type and the way I'm wired if Jesus gave us just a few kind of tick boxes, like a few targets to hit, and then we'd be good and we'd be spiritually mature. I know some of you are wired the same in the room. But I would love it if Jesus said, okay, you want to grow spiritually, you want to be like me, you want to be mature in your faith, then do these things. Read your Bible this much a day. Pray for this many minutes or hours a day. Do these five or six or ten things. Do this, this, and this. And then you'll have arrived. You'll be spiritually mature. You'll be top of the pups. But the problem with that kind of way of measuring spiritual maturity the kind of do's and don'ts way. And just honestly, we all do do that. Even if you know what I'm talking about now, that love is the measure of spiritual maturity. The reality is every single one of us have got do's and don'ts that we measure ourselves on and we measure other people with. But the problem with measuring spiritual maturity this way, the kind of 
to-do list or tick box list or whatever you want to call it, is that when we have that as the measure of faith, that we start to judge other people by the things that we are judging ourselves by. So what we do is our confidence grows when we look at other people and we go, hmm, they don't pray as well as I do. They don't do those three things that I do every day. Hmm, I'm more mature than them. Or whatever it might be, we, we look at them and they don't do the things we do or they do do things we know you're not meant to do or they struggle with things that we don't struggle with or they sin in ways that we don't sin. And we look down on them and we go, hmm, I'm doing pretty well in my faith. I'm spiritually mature. And the problem with that kind of tick box spirituality is as we grow in self-discipline and maturity and obedience according to those points, we also grow in legalism and self-righteousness and judgment and being an unloving person. Looking down on those who don't live up to our standards and becoming more and more puffed up and proud about our own spiritual achievements. That kind of life is not what spiritual maturity looks like. It's not what Christian maturity looks like. So instead, what we're aiming for is to become a community that loves like Jesus. These are some of Jesus's, my favorite words of his in John 13, 34 and 35, the night before he would go to the cross and go through all that he suffered for you and I. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what we see here is that Jesus' life of love, Jesus' love towards us, it's all our reason to love others. Our motivation to love flows from his love. And the reality is, is when we look at Jesus' life and we read his teachings, the bar is set pretty high. Some of us could even be discouraged, saying, wow, Jesus' life is incredible. His bar is really high. I fail to live up to the standards. That's one of the reasons we need to lean into the Holy Spirit and ask Him for His help to live out this different way of love. But Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And probably for those of us who've walked with God for a while, as we've experienced His love, it's impacted us. It's a selfless generous, unconditional kind of love. And as we've experienced that in our hearts and our lives, we want others to experience that too. We wanna to show that to others. We wanna go deeper into that love. And one of the things Jesus speaks about in that passage is he says that a community that is marked by this kind of Christ-like love for one another, selfless, unconditional, not self-seeking, that kind of love, that's the kind of community that people outside of the church will look into and will say, that's what real Christianity is. That's what real faith is. That, that is what God is like, instead of the opposite, which sadly seems to be so often hurled at the church. That group, they practice what they preach. They love one another. That is authentic, authentic faith. The love of God that we see in Jesus' life and his death on the cross it shows us a new way to live and a new way to love. And it's the kind of thing that we're called to embody and take on to show to the city around us. And this love for people is part of the greatest commandment of Jesus. Now, I know we've looked at this already, but I love that. Someone comes to Jesus and says, what is it? What is the greatest commandment? What, what would you call me to do? And he responds in this way, Mark 12, verse 29. The most important is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And I've read that a bunch. I'm sure many of you have too. And when I read that, I find the first part of it so strange. You know, I love the love God part. I love the love your neighbor part. But the hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It sounds so strange. It's like a weird intro to get to the, the meat of what he's saying. But this is where it's so important that we understand the whole of Scripture. And really in Jesus' answer, he's quoting two Old Testament passages there. He's speaking out of Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19 to define what love for God and love for neighbor looks like. And we have talked about Deuteronomy 6 before, the Shema, which means to hear. 
And this was a prayer that was prayed by young Jewish, well, Jewish people every morning and every evening. It was the center of their prayer life and the center of their faith. It's something that every Jewish person would have known and memorized. So when Jesus answers this way, everyone knows that he's linking his answer back to Deut- Deuteronomy 6, the most important part of their faith. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. A little bit of action for you this evening. I might just have to move here. Cal, thank you so much. This is actually just a very exciting part of our service this evening. Just some special effects to get you into the mood. Just really wanted to dramatize this Deuteronomy 6 scene for each of you. Um, you know what I can do is let me just move here. I think this is fine. If it happens again, that was not planned, but the first one was. It says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That part sounds pretty familiar to us. That's the Jesus quote that we just read from Mark 12. And it goes on and says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, not just in your heads. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What a vision for the parents in this room. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This passage is speaking about this God-centered, God-saturated vision of life. He's part of everything. He's part of our life, part of our home, part of our work, part of our travel. He's in our thinking and our feeling. He's in our waking up and our going to sleep. He's in our conversation and our inner and outer worlds. He's in everything. It's a God-soaked vision for life. I'd encourage you to read through that a few times this week and think, what would that look like in my own life to try and apply something of Deuteronomy 6? And then Jesus says in Mark 12 verse 31, the second is this, or in the Matthew version, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that blows my mind. Honestly, the fact that love for God and love for neighbor are linked like that by Jesus That is not the way I think. I mean, I've read this a bunch of times. I've preached on this kind of thing before. Every time I hear this, I think, surely, Jesus, the real answer is you love God, and then way down below is love for neighbor at second, and then everything else after that. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. They're alike. These commands are linked. You can't separate them. Really, both of those, love for God and love for neighbor, are the same thing. And you've got to kind of ask why. Why is love for God and love for neighbor one or the greatest command? It's perfect. You spoiled my answer, but I mean, it's completely true. You got it. You see, it's, love for God is invisible. It's, it's unseen. But actually, love for neighbor is a demonstration, a visible demonstration of our love for God. And we can so easily fool ourselves, you know? We can say, well, I come to church on Sundays, I sing the loudest out of anyone in the congregation. Some people who sing, but I raise my hands higher, I'm more demonstrative than anyone else, I sing more passionately, whatever it is, you know? I help more people, I give more money, I pray more, whatever your metrics are. We can say, I clearly love God. But again, we're self-righteous and judgmental and unloving. So what Jesus says is our love for God is demonstrated, is manifested, is made visible in the way we treat the people around us. Okay. It's a little bit off track, but 100%, I'm with you on that. One of the things Jesus is saying here is that our love for neighbor is critical to our faith. And I think we know this. Like if you are a TV watcher, I'm sure you've seen a movie or a series where basically a Christian character comes onto screen and you're introduced to them and you go, oh no, what's this gonna be like now? Oh, I know. Like I've seen this in too many sitcoms, movies before. The Christian becomes the punching bag, you know? The Christian is here to be judgmental and self-righteous and whatever. They're a really good person. They're really moral. They don't do things that everyone else does. And they're really committed to God. And they're probably helping out and serving and caring for the poor and doing these great things. But they're your worst character in the show. 
They're the, you're like, Lord, why, have you, why are you allowing them on screen? They're doing bad PR for us, please. These characters are hypocritical and judgmental and unkind and self-righteous and look down their nose at everyone else and they're unloving. We know that that's actually not the way of Jesus. But that sadly has been the picture that so many people have shown to the world around us. So what Jesus says is the, the true litmus test, the ultimate litmus test of love for God is not what we do, it's that we're a loving person to the people around us in this world. So who are we called to love? Let's go back to our prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3. Verse 12 says this absolutely beautiful line. May the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another, those in the church, and for everyone. Um, Britt, I didn't cue you on this, but there should be two pictures there. If you can put up the first one. Have you guys seen this meme before? Jesus is preaching, he's sharing this passage says, love everyone, and someone comes up with a question, and he says, did I stutter? Can you put up the next one? Maybe this makes more sense. I hope this doesn't offend you. Love your neighbor as yourself, but what if they're of a different race? What if they've got a different sexual orientation? What if they do this, or that, or that? Jesus, yes, even if they ask stupid questions. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I think that's what Jesus is getting across here. We're called to love everyone, not just someone, not just some people, everyone. His command is all-inclusive. There's no small print at the bottom of your Bible that says, okay, except for this group of people, except for this person, except for someone you don't like, except for someone who is really difficult, except for someone who's really ungodly or of a different religion or a different worldview. It doesn't say any of that at all. It says everyone. Remember what we talked about earlier. Jesus loved us even when we were his enemies, when we weren't his friends, when we were far from him, when we were doing things that he was really, really opposed to. This means that as we follow Jesus, we can't continue to live a life of unforgiveness or hatred or bigotry or prejudice or bitterness towards other people, as challenging as that might be. Really, the call of this message is that as we live out our faith and as we live our lives, we're called to live with a humility in this world towards the people that are around us, the people who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't prioritize the things we do, and that we would value and respect all people everywhere, always, not because of who we are or who they are, but because they're made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and honor and respect. The second passage that Jesus quotes from in his answer to this big question of what is the greatest commandment is Leviticus 19, verse 9 to 18. And this is really where he defines what it looks like to love our neighbor and work this out. Now, I think this is a passage that most of us won't be familiar with, so I want to read it through, and then we'll see what, it, what it's really saying. Verse 9, when you reap the harvest of your land, when you're farming, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And lastly, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Be another one of those passages to work through and just say, what does this mean for me to think this through and obey this? Firstly, Jesus defines love for our neighbors like this. He says, use your business and your resources to serve the poor and the refugee. Don't know if you've thought of that before, but almost the idea of with our work and with our resources, are we able to not just get as much as we can from others, but to care for others, to love others. It's compassionate capitalism. 
Secondly, don't steal or be crooked or lie to your neighbor to get ahead. Basically, it's saying don't put yourself above your neighbor. Don't just be self-seeking. Think of others in the way you treat people. Thirdly, do not oppress your neighbor in any way. Fourthly, don't pay unfair wages or mistreat your employees. Be unbiased and live justly toward others. Do not hate in word or deed or in your heart. Don't take vengeance or hold a grudge against another person. This is Jesus' vision for how we love our neighbor in Durban. That's what it looks like to obey and live out this command. So what does that mean for you personally? Is there anything that stands out in terms of how you respond to the people that God has brought into your life? The passage ends and says, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And I love that last line because it's almost like a junk drawer. You know, it catches everything. If you thought there was a loophole, a way out of loving someone, some kind of small print or something there, there isn't. He's saying, love everyone. And the reason is because God is the Lord. Because God is God, we show love. Because God is God, we don't lie to get ahead. Because God is God, we forgive those who have sinned against us. Because God is God, we are honest rather than lying, even if it makes our lives easier. Because God is God, we love everyone around us. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Which is a really beautiful and challenging thing. Because God is God, we love others in this way. And the final kind of outcome of this is because God is God, we love our enemies. And this is maybe the hardest part of this teaching to get to because some of us in this room will have enemies or people who've hurt us or people we hate or are angry with or are bitter with. And Jesus' words come in a very abrasive against those parts of our life. Matthew 5 is 43 to 45. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. A lot of us feel that way. That's what we'd like it to be. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I don't know if any of you do have any enemies or people you hate or people you haven't forgiven or people that you're bitter with. But the reason that the scripture becomes tough is because all of a sudden we're confronted by the reality that this can be a very, very hard thing to do. The reason it's hard is because we have a reason to hate them. There's a reason they're our enemy. There's a reason we don't want to forgive them, and it's a significant one. So I just don't want to minimize the cost of forgiveness in a situation like this. It's costly. It's huge. For some of you who maybe know even now that God's putting his finger on a part of your life where you need to forgive and ask him for your help to forgive someone, I realize that that might take time might take years. You might need to see someone, a a professional, a counselor, a psychologist to work through this. But really the, the scripture calls us to start, to start the process of forgiveness, to start the process of healing and asking God to deal with this hurt, hatred, anger, or bitterness in your heart. And I know in this community that there are people who've gone through radical things, other members of Harbor City here, now or not here, or people in the past, people have been cheated on, have been betrayed or disappointed, have been sexually and emotionally abused, have been hijacked, robbed, mugged, or attacked. People in this community with real reasons to hate their neighbor or to have enemies. And Jesus' word comes to us into those real places and calls us to love and to forgive. One way that Jesus says we do this is by praying for them. And if you feel like there's someone you need to forgive, you need to begin that process, I think this is such a good place to start. I actually think for praying for our enemies is more about us than it is about them. Of course, they're blessed by our prayers. But bringing someone before our Father in heaven in prayer who has wronged us and praying for their good means that we're saying, Lord, I've got unforgiveness in me, but I'm asking for your help. It's a real prayer to pray. Saying, God, I, I need to forgive, so I'm gonna start with a little prayer for them. You pray for any part of their life, their work life, their relationships, their family, their business, their finances, their, their dreams. 
that God would hear their prayers, whatever it is. I think ultimately, when we pray for our enemies and those who've hurt us, what we're doing is praying that they would come closer to Jesus. Saying, God, they've hurt me, they've wronged me, I'm angry, I'm upset. Would you help me in this area in my heart? But would you also help them and draw them to yourself? Can't imagine a better prayer to pray for your enemy than that they would come to know the love of God and draw nearer to him themselves. I don't know for some of you um, how this message impacts your heart right now, your experience right now, your thoughts right now. I realize that the thought of forgiving someone who doesn't deserve it, who hasn't earned your forgiveness, who hasn't asked for it might be very challenging. And choosing to forgive them and not hate them might feel unnatural and wrong. And it is. It's not natural. It's a supernatural thing. It's not a normal thing. It's an abnormal, incredible thing. And I think the Bible word for that kind of forgiveness and love is the word grace. It's an undeserved response to the way someone has acted towards you. But this issue of forgiveness is right at the center of the gospel. As we spoke about right at the beginning, we saw Brennan receiving Ray's life for him. Jesus, when we were enemies, giving his life for us that we could be forgiven and right with God. And that means this question, the gospel, comes right into our hearts and our unforgiveness. It says, as God has forgiven us, despite what we've done, would we forgive others? Can I ask you guys to stand with me for a second? If you could close your eyes, if you're comfortable doing that. I just want to pray really briefly around those three things. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might have highlighted to you tonight, but I want to pray for you that you would know the love of God, that you would love God, and that you would love like God. I don't know if there's anything else you need to bring before Him, but I just ask for Harbor City Church right now, Lord, as I've prayed over the last year, that you would make this community a community of love, the supernatural love that we see in the gospel, the supernatural love that we see in your life, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that this community wouldn't operate at a natural level of love, a natural level of relationships, a natural level of how they treat one another. I pray for a supernatural love. Pray even now for your grace to come in as we prayed at the beginning and as we sung at the beginning that your love so deep would wash over us. Lord, I pray where we've known about your love, that it would go deeper. We would experience it and feel it. Pray we would believe it, even now that you would take us in your hands, take our face in your hands. Speak to us about your love, Lord. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us and empower us to love our co-workers, our roommates, our family, our spouse, our kids, our parents, our neighbors, our ex-family, ex-friends, people who've robbed us and hurt us and betrayed us. I pray, Jesus, even now, as we just bring some things before you, Lord God, that you would help us to forgive, help us to love. Actually, you would oil the parts of our hearts and our lives that have grown rusted with hate and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness, that actually your grace and your love would come into those places and that we'd find ourselves changing. I just pray even now, Father, that you'd meet with each of us individually around what this message meets for us we'd know what you're calling us to do, how you're calling us to respond, and that we would respond, and that we would grow in love, we pray. In Jesus' name. Standing here in your presence, in a grace so relentless, I am one. I Within the arms of heaven In a 
peace that lasts forever sinking deep in mercy see I'm wide awake drawing close stood by grace and all my heart is yours oh fear removed I breathe you
just as we leave here tonight, I pray one last time, Lord, that we would be filled with your love, that we would go into this week and be people who love the people around us, the city of Durban, and just honor you with our lives of love. I pray, Lord, that Harbour City would be shaped by love, known for her love, and become more and more the community that you call us to be in John 13. So help us, Lord God, form us into those kinds of people in that kind of church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go well. I'm sure some of you are very keen for a glass of water to get in the pool or shower. Have a wonderful rest of the night and a good week. If you guys want to say hi to Jamie or Lise, they'll be around for a while. Feel free to hang out and chat to someone else. Otherwise, have a great week. God bless.